Yo, 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 yo. What's good, everybody? What's good? What's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome back to another episode of the IKP, the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Yours truly, Isaiah Kid. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid of the IKP. Once again, coming back at you. I'm solo dolo, one man show, one band, one sound. <laughs> um, I'm by myself today, so <laughs> no guests. I am gonna have. I, I do have a couple guests prepared to come on. Um, the next couple episodes to talk about, you know, NBA and so forth, NBA playoffs and all that good stuff. But I'm by myself once again, and you guys get to hear my voice. I got, I got, I got a variety of topics I want to get to. I want to get to. I have, I think I, I, I have at least one NFL topic I want to get to. At least one, because I know it's the NBA playoffs, and I was like, yeah, we'll playoff, playoff, playoffs. Well. Football season's right around the corner. Football season's not too far. OTAs and training camp has begun and started. So, you know, I'm going to give you guys a football topic here and there. So, you know, I gave you guys last episode, I gave you guys just about a little bit of everything. But like I said, I'm going to start, you know, getting back in the groove of things as far as like football as the football season approaches. But let's start with the NBA playoffs. NBA playoffs, crazy, right? Crazy. A lot has happened since I've talked to you guys. Since the last time I've talked to you guys, a lot has happened. Okay. Um, and it's and it seems like that every time, but boy, like this this it like the playoffs and these injuries are just a never-ending story. So where should I start? Should I start with the Brooklyn Nets? Should I start with Chris Paul? That's a really good story they got going on in Phoenix. Should I start with the Clippers? Where should I start? Okay. You don't got to figure that out. I know where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with the Phoenix Suns advancing to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2010. Uh, That was the last time the Phoenix Suns were in the playoffs. That was the last time the Phoenix Suns made it to the Western Conference Finals. So So we have Chris Paul, who hit the whole, like, narrative. You know, the narrative of Chris Paul has changed. And it's great. I like Chris Paul. I've liked Chris Paul for a very long time. Um, I I think, like, you hear many people say this, and, you know, Charles Barkley's <laughs> people laugh when Charles Barkley, uh, when he says it, but he's really the best leader in the NBA. Like, like really. He's really the best leader in the NBA. Um. Now, as you guys know, I'm not going to change my stance on how I feel about the quote-unquote Chris Paul effect. And I'm going to break that down further, more in-depth, because I've talked about it a little bit with a couple of my guests that I brought on. I've talked about it in-depth a little bit just by myself. But I'm going to go a little bit deeper, I guess, um, than I than I have on like the quote-unquote Chris Paul effect. And I and by the way, I do think the Chris Paul effect is real, but I'm gonna dive, like I said, I'm gonna dive in deep into that a little bit more. But first, the Phoenix Suns, as I mentioned, they get a sweep. They completely um they sweep the Denver Nuggets. 
the 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 MVP Nikola Jokic, league MVP Nikola Jokic, and the Denver Nuggets. Now, obviously, um, the Denver Nuggets were a bit hobbled coming into this series, coming into the playoffs. Period. No Jamal Murray. They did get back Will Barton. That's important to add, but no Jamal Murray, who is their second best player. Um, but like I said, Phoenix, they're rolling. The Phoenix Suns are rolling. I love their brand of basketball. I thought I thought Monty Williams should have been. I, I thought I thought Monty Williams should have been the, the coach of the year. Um, I felt like, and it, I'm not I'm not necessarily mad that Tom Thibodeau got it because I get it. He turned around the Knicks. You know, Tibbs. You know, Tib Tib Tib. This is not Tibbs' first time. You know, having a season like this where he turns around a franchise uh, that's trending downward. But I just thought with Monty Williams being in the Western Conference, he had the second best record in the conference, second best record in the league. I just thought he should have got coach of the year and just dating back to what, like dating back to the progression that the Phoenix Suns made last year, which you guys should keep in mind because it's going to be important later on when I talk about the Chris Paul effect. But I thought Monty Williams should have got the coach of the year. But he's doing a hell of a job, and he has a really, really strong coaching staff, um, you know, surrounding him. I, I think it, I would it would behoove me not to mention James Jones, the GM of the Phoenix Suns, who's done a really, really good job with with like truly putting together a a great squad. He's dra- a lot of these guys he's drafted, a lot of these guys he's taken some chances on. Uh, Cameron, like a guy, look at look at a guy like Cameron Payne who wasn't, wasn't in the NBA, like, to begin last season, he wasn't in the NBA. He was you know, over China, overseas. Take, you know, James Jones have taken chances and taken risks, and he's pulled the right cards and have drafted and signed the right players. Um, and I think James Jones, I don't think, um, I don't think GMs get enough credit, and I think James Jones, he's one of those guys where obviously Phoenix has, you know, Last year they weren't good. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, but young young squad, uh, and you could see the progression in James Jones is just allergic to losing. He's allergic to losing. So back to Chris Paul. Chris Paul. I often describe it as Chris Paul. He ha- he's more of a throwback, feisty small guard. And to Rashad Phillips, shout out to Rashad Phillips. Um, I love his content, and I love the terminology that he often uses to further expand on the game of basketball itself. And I think I saw a tweet that he made concerning, uh, like, small point guards, and it's so true. Rashad Phillips calls them, and excuse my French, but he calls them assholes. And by that, they're pesk. They're they're, they're pesk. They, They are tough. They're relentless. Those small point guards, the Chris Pauls, the Isaiah Thomas, the so forth, small point guards, they're pesk, they're they they they're they're naggy. And with Chris Paul, I mean, you all you have to do, all you like, all you can do is just applaud the performance that Chris Paul, uh, the performance that he gave us in this uh, second round series versus Denver. He averaged twenty five points per game, ten assists. Um, on you know shooting fifty one percent from three, but then forty one assists to five turnovers. Forty one assists and to five turnovers, 
in 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 a span of four games. So absolutely um, a great performance from Chris Paul. Um, and as I mentioned, we could talk about Devin Booker and his emergence. Um, I, I I told you guys I told you guys coming into the postseason two things: the mid range game is not out of style. Um, I I I have explained that it's not out of style whatsoever. It's not out of style whatsoever. And with Devin Booker, his the way how he plays offense, his offensive repertoire, it it, it it's a easily tra- it's a easy it's easily it's easily translatable to the postseason. He makes a lot of tough shots. He can kill you. He can he's a three level score. He can shoot the three. He can get he can get to the he can get within the teeth of the defense. He can shoot these tough mid-range jump shots where analytics, and this is where I think analytics have somewhat ruined basketball. Because in the and I've and I I've argued this point number numerous of times. Numerous of times I've argued this point. I've argued this point last year. I've I I talked about I talk about how Giannis needs to develop a mid-range game. I continuously talk about it. The mid-range game is not dead. It's not as dead or it's not as bad of a shot as analytics try to make it out to be. It's not. And this is what makes Chris Paul such a throwback. We see these other caliber or not even caliber, but these other point guards. We have we have a we have a just a variety of players that are labeled as quote-unquote point guards or that are actual point guards. Um, we have like the guys like Trey Young, Steph Curry, Damian Leonard, guys with amazing range, playmakers, great shot makers. Um, you know, we got guys like John Morant who's explosive, dynamic, Westbrook, explosive, dynamic. We have a variety of point guards in today's game. Chris Paul's a throwback. He's the point guard. He he he's the he's the point guard. He's the quintessential point guard. He makes others around him better. Simple as that. He makes other others around him better. Simply, he just makes them better. But also his mid range game. That's what the, that's what's going out of style. Or quote unquote. That's what they say. It's going out of style. And his mid range game is as good as anybody's. And while he's zigging, while the rest of the league is zagging. He's zigging. While the rest of the league is going one direction, Chris Paul is going the other. And and to my point about the mid-range game, and this is why I think I I, I this is why it's, the eye test is so useful, um, because analytics, and I'm not saying analytics is a bad thing. I'm not saying analytics is a bad thing because I think I can I think it could be resourceful in in instances, but. When analytics, when when people continue to point to analytics and say, "Oh my goodness, the mid range shot is not a good shot," it's completely false, especially during playoff time. Playoff basketball, the game slows down. Playoff basketball, defense gets better. It's supposed to get it's it's supposed to get better. Playoff basketball, the coaching is supposed to get better. Playoff basketball, the opposing team knows what you're going to do, but getting within the teeth of the defense and not gain not and not being able to get towards the rim all the time, having a reliable mid-range jump shot is so important. It's so important. And, and, and like I said, regular season, okay. But in the postseason, 
having that in-between game is so crucial. Look at the guys that's killing it. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard has a really good mid-range game. Chris Paul, really good mid-range game. Devin Booker, really good mid-range game. Kevin Durant, really good mid-range game. We continue to talk about how the Warriors, we, we like, think of the Warriors. When we think of the Warriors with, you know, the Warriors with Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, we think of them being a great three-point shooting team. And they were a great three-point shooting team. But we don't talk about the number of mid-range jumpers that those same Warrior teams took. They took quite a few mid-range jumpers. Actually, one of those years, they led the league in mid-range jumpers. But we don't talk about that nearly enough. We just think of, oh my gosh, Warriors, Splash Brothers with Kevin Durant. It's a great three-point shooting team. But no, they could make the mid-range jumper. And so the mid-range game is not out of style. The, the, the Phoenix Suns are playing absolutely terrific. Um, welcome to the Western Conference. Western Conference Finals, excuse me. Welcome back to the Western Conference Finals. The, I, I, I usually don't do this. I usually don't say this. I usually don't do it. But if there's anybody or any team that I would like to see win the championship, it would be the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul. Chris Paul deserves it. I, Chris Paul deserves it. And I'm usually, you guys know, I'm usually not this guy, uh, you know, that favor. You like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't usually have my feelings with it or have my feelings in it. But if there was one, if I had to pick a team that I could have win the championship, it would probably be the Phoenix Suns. So Chris Paul can get the championship. But that's just me. Um... <clears throat> So let's move on. So let's let's shift gears to the other side, the other side of the spectrum, right? Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, and I'm not, this is not going to be long. Um, they 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 were outmatched. The Denver Nuggets were outmatched. They were outmatched. I was a bit I was a bit I was a bit surprised that they couldn't get one game. Um, but they were they were a bit outmatched. My key takeaways, uh, first of all, first and foremost, I don't think. So Nikola Jokic got ejected because uh, he got he caught a flagrant two. Uh, he had a he had a wind up foul on Cameron Payne. So he got he he caught and he caught a flagrant two, and a flagrant two in today's game, automatic ejection. So he got ejected in the third quarter with like five and a half minutes left, um, and it was a pretty close game. So Denver, you know, they were in striking distance, but as I stated. Jokic, the Joker, he got ejected. Um, and then Denver just struggled offensively because they didn't have any real playmakers, right? But my key takeaways, and first, and, and like I said, I, to go back to that point about the Joker getting ejected, I do not believe he should have been ejected. I do thought that was that was definitely a frustration foul. Like you can go back and look at the play. Um, prior to that, or you can you can look up a, you can look at a couple seconds prior to that foul happening. It it was definitely a frustration foul, um, but he shouldn't have been ejected. The wind up was pretty vicious, but it it wasn't deserving of a flagrant two, in my opinion. And once again, more of an aesthetic thing. It doesn't really look too good when you eject 
the quote-unquote league's MVP in an elimination game. It just doesn't look it doesn't look too good, especially for that. It wasn't it wasn't that malicious where he should have been ejected. So that's just that. But my key takeaway is from the Nuggets in this series. Um, I'm curious to see the development of Michael Porter Jr. because I have high hopes for Michael Porter Jr. I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be a really phenomenal player. I think he has a chance to be a phenomenal player. Um, and for many of my and for some of my listeners that may not know, um, when Michael Porter Jr. was drafted, he was supposed to be the he was supposed to be the number one pick. He was supposed to be the number one pick coming out of Missouri, but obviously had some chronic back injuries, had the back surgery, so he dropped and fell in the draft. But now he's got a couple years under his belt in the league. He's playing on a Nuggets team that looks to be a contender out West. I want to see him get better on defense. I want to see more involvement, more effort on the defensive side of the basketball. Offensively, he's really good. He's spectacular. He's talented. Uh, especially for his size. But now I want to see him apply some of that effort um, and those physical gifts to the defensive side of the end because the way how the, the way how Phoenix continue to nitpick and pick at and go at Michael Porter Jr. defensively in this series was quite embarrassing. And I and like I said, I like Michael Porter Jr., but it was quite embarrassing the way how they were going after him on defense. They were clearly targeting him on defense. Literally. They like they were like anybody like whoever's guarding whoever Michael Porter Jr is guarding go at him. Go at him. So I I do I think that's my one big takeaway from the the, the Nuggets. Um like I said health wasn't, you know, health was has been an issue in the postseason but I want to see the development of Michael Porter Jr. because I think it's going to be really important. Um, I think his development is going to re- be really important uh, and critical for the Nuggets, you know, going down the line as far as can they win a championship, you know, can they get out of the Western Conference and so forth. So Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, they play a crucial, crucial game five tonight. Um, by the time you guys hear this, you guys would know the outcome of uh, the game. I don't. So I'm giving you my thoughts. Um, I went on a podcast. Somebody, I went on somebody else's podcast, the MNR show, um, yesterday, and I talked about the Brooklyn Nets. And we basically talked about, hey, can Kevin Durant carry the Brooklyn Nets to the championship, or can, they, can the Brooklyn Nets win a championship despite James Harden and Kyrie Irving being hurt? I said no. Um, because this team, like this Nets team, was not built for Kevin Durant to carry to carry them to the championship. It wasn't. By himself, this team was not built by like this team, this Nets team was not built or not designed for Kevin Durant to take them to the championship and take them to the glory land um by himself alone. I think you need at least two guys. You need at least you need at least two of the big three. Um, I, I I do think this game five. Um, I know I keep seeing conflicting reports about James Harden. What you know is he going to play or is he not going to play? I keep seeing conflicting reports that he may play or he may not play. So I don't know. Um, 
I definitely I'm definitely gonna give the Brooklyn Nets a puncher's chance to win this game, game five. Uh I'm expecting Durant to have a big night. Simple as that. I'm expecting Durant to have a big night. Um, just because he has a big night, that doesn't mean they're gonna win. But that's what I'm hoping for. I'm I'm expect or well, not hoping, but I'm expecting a big night from Kevin Durant. Um, but this Nets team, when they traded for James Harden, they caught so much flack. The Nets caught so much flack because it's like, oh my God, you traded James Harden, you gave away literally all your depth. And people were talking about, oh my God, the Nets are not deep. They're not as deep as they were coming into the season. And oh my goodness, you you gave up all this. Okay. They get James Harden. Obviously, the Brooklyn Nets, they, you know, they lost players like Curtis uh, LeVert, Jared Allen, really, really good young players. Good young players that, that were a part of the core. Um, the Brooklyn Nets lost them, right? So that means they have to piecemeal it together. They had to go, the Brooklyn Nets had to go out and get some buyout options. So, like, guys like Lamarcus Aldridge, guys like Blake Griffin, Bake. So the Nets were banking on basically veterans, like veterans who are a bit past their prime, but could but but could contribute. Um, so Lamarcus Aldridge retired. Uh, Blake Griffin's playing pretty well, but he's past his prime, as I as I stated. So now the Brooklyn Nets are left standing with only Kevin Durant, one of the big three, one of only the big three, right? Um, and a, and a bunch of role guys. That's if Harden doesn't play. Now, I, now let me give you this. If Harden does play, I don't think Harden's going to be 100%. I don't. I don't think he's going to be 100%. But for all of my for all of my listeners that are real basketball watchers, real basketball watchers know, real people that watch basketball know there's a such thing as a decoy. And if James Harden plays, if he plays, I don't know if he's going to play or not. I, like I said, I keep seeing conflicting reports that he is going to play or, you know, somebody, you know, one minute they're saying he's going to play. The next minute he said they're saying he's not going to play. So I don't know. But if he does play, James Harden's going to be a decoy. He's not going to – I don't think because a ham, judging a hamstring injury, it's a weird injury. Hamstring injuries, groin injuries, when you pull a muscle, those are always weird injuries. It can take a week to heal or it can take five weeks to heal. It, it, they're just weird injuries. Hamstring injuries and groin injuries, they're, ver they're very, very weird and peculiar situations and injuries. So I think he's going to be a cold turkey. Um, I don't think he's going to be productive. I don't think he's going to be 100%. But if he's out there on the floor, his presence, James Harden's presence alone, will will the Bucks would have they would have to give they would have to show him respect because he's James Harden, he's James freaking Harden, so he's gonna he's gonna be shown respect, even if he's only a decoy, even as he's on, and and I think the Bucks, if he does play. The Bucks will soon, they will understand that he won't be able to do much, but just his presence alone, they're going to have to respect him because he's James Harden.
And I think with that, I think that's going to help Kevin Durant, and I think that's going to help the flow of the Brooklyn Nets offense. That's for my that's for my real people that watch basketball and that know basketball, because you know, you can go back and look at the Last Dance, Game Six of the nineteen ninety eight Finals. Scottie Pippen was a decoy. He had a back he had the back injury, couldn't really do much, couldn't really move much. He was a decoy. With his presence alone, it made the flow of the offense flow better. The fluidity, the fluidity of the offense, it was better. Same thing we're here at Brooklyn. If James Harden plays, he's a decoy. He's going to be used as a decoy, and the offense is simply it's going to have a, a it's going to have a better pace and a better rhythm to the offense than it would without James Harden because he's just that good. Now. That's a, that's a scenario if James Harden doesn't play. For the scenario for James Harden, if he does, if that's a, that's a scenario if he does play. The scenario for James Harden, if he doesn't play, is this. Kevin Durant is going to be asked to uh, basically facilitate and run the entire offense of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they're going to need a couple guys off the bench or a couple role players to make a lot of shots. So guys like Joe Harris or a Jeff Green, who's I think Jeff Green has um, offensively he can he can go off. Like if they're look they're gonna be looking for a Jeff Green, a Joe Harris, a Landry Shaman, one of those shooters that can get hot and have a big night in order for the Brooklyn Nets to win. These are the ingredients that the Brooklyn Nets are gonna need in order to win Game Five versus the Bucks. They're gonna need obviously Kevin Durant to have. A great game. So, like I said, I'm expecting Durant to have a great performance. I think he's going to get about 40, about 40. Um, so that's 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 number one. They're going to need Durant to play great. Secondly, is they're going to need Durant. They're going to probably if if like I said, if Harden doesn't play, they're going to need Harden. They're going to need Durant to facilitate and 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 just orchestrate the offense. With that. They're going to need role players and key role players, such as, like I said, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, even like a guy like Mike Jank. They're going to need to score and hit some big shots. The Nets are going to need some major bench production. Um, and then next on the list is the Bucks. The Bucks are going to have to wet the bid. The, the Bucks are going to have to wet the bid. Um, I, 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 you guys know I have not been – I've not been too found – of Mike Budenholzer's adjustments that he's made in this series. I think this series has totally exposed him as far as a coach. I mean, I, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying he can't coach, but some of these adjustments are a bit head scratching or or lack thereof cuz he's not some you know some there's adjustments that should be made that have not been made. Um, so those are the key points. There's about there's about four points, four to five key points that the Brooklyn Nets are going to need to do in order to win game five. Once again, Kevin Durant is going to have to have a great performance. Secondly, Joe Harris, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, one of these key role players slash shooters, they need to come alive and they need to hit some big shots. Secondly, if hard or thirdly, if Harden can play. Harden's going to be a decoy, and with that, the offense is going to flow better. 
And then Mike Budenholzer. Mike Budenholzer is just going to have to wet the bed as a coach. Um, I'm not sure if all of these things are going to happen. Like I said, uh, right now it is 4 o'clock p.m., 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. So I'm not sure what is going to happen. But by, by the time you guys hear this, you guys would. Um, but like I said, Kevin Durant, this Nets team, it's a bit unfair. But it's a bit unfair to ask him to go out here and win this game. But um, this Nets team is not built for Kevin Durant, or it's not de- it's not designed for Kevin Durant to win alone. It's not. Let's be honest. I know people out there, Twitter and social media, you know, Durant can't carry. No. This team is not designed for Kevin Durant to win alone. Simple as that. Um, big night for Giannis. I think this is a make-or-break night for Giannis. I feel like whatever happens these next two games, I don't, you know, whatever the result is um, after game five, whatever the result is in game six, I think this is a make, these are some make or break games for Giannis. And at some point, people are going to, if, if, if the Bucks lose this game, if, and if the Bucks lose this series, at some point, people are going to throw the white towel with your on Giannis and people are going to be calling for Mike Budenholzer's job. Simple as that. Let's move on to the 76ers. Another team that's a bit rattled with injuries and um <laughs> they still have not been able to figure out this riddle with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I'm going to talk about the Sixers. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the 76ers. Um they lost to the Atlanta Hawks. The series is now tied 2-2. Uh, Joel Embiid has a, had a miserable, miserable second half. Uh, went 0 for 12. Didn't look good. His shot, I watched the game. His shots, in those 12 shots that he took in the second half, I mean, most of them that I can recall were barely touching rim like they were barely grazing rim I don't know if that was fatigue I don't know if that was the right knee that he had injured with the torn meniscus I don't know but Joel Embiid was miserable um in the last possession of the game <clears throat> Ben Simmons wasn't even on the floor yeah 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 I said that right I said that right I said that right Ben Simmons wasn't even on the floor so they're going back to Philly, and at this point, I got the Sixers winning this series. I guess I mean, but how confident do I feel? How confident do I really feel? Because I've talked about this quote unquote riddle about the Seventy Sixers with Embiid and Ben Simmons, and we bang on Giannis a lot for not being able to develop a jump shot, some type of some some type of remnants of a jump shot. We bang on Giannis. But we need to bang on Ben Simmons as well. I mean, and I and I like and I, and once again, I like Ben Simmons style. I like his play style. But usually the first step to solving a problem, usually Usually the first step to solving a problem is a is admitting 
that you actually have a problem, <laughs> right? That's usually the first step to admitting, a, like, to the first step to solving a problem is first acknowledging and admitting, hey, I have a problem. Like, you want to stop an addiction, right? Um, I'm. You want to stop an addiction. It doesn't have to be any serious addiction. It could just be a playful addiction, right? Whatever. Say you have a drinking addiction. Well, in order to limit that addiction, in order to put that uh, that addiction to rest, you have to first acknowledge and tell yourself, "I have a drinking addiction," <laughs> right? Right? Like I have, like I have an addiction. That's that's usually what you have to do to in order to solve your problem. You have to you have to acknowledge to yourself and say. Yeah, I have a problem. <laughs> That's usually what you have to do. And with the and with the Sixers, I know this trend. I, I like I I've watched the Sixers for a while with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, you know, and I, I like both players. I wish it could work, but I know that I, I like even with even with a new GM and Daryl Morey. Even with a new head coach, Doc Rivers, I know it's not going to work because I, they have highs. Their highs are pretty high. Most of their highs have been in the regular season, but their highs are pretty high, but their low points are, are, are low. And the Sixers, their problem is they are not admitting to their problem. Um, And... In the biggest moments last night, or yes, last night, uh, of last night's game, two things were the the were just the the summary of the Embiid and Simmons era. Two things: Simmons disappeared in the fourth quarter. Um, he got hacked the shack. He got hacked the shack once, but. He looked terrified at the free throw line and and beat health. There you go. That's literally the Simmons and Embiid era in the 70s, like throughout the 70s. That's that's literally the Embiid and Ben Simmons era. That's a summary. Simmons terrified at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Didn't, you know, wasn't aggressive offensively in the fourth quarter at all because he's petrified to even try to attempt a jump shot. And then, you know, as great as Embiid is, struggled in the second half and was nowhere to be found in the fourth quarter. He looked fatigued. Maybe his knee gave out on him once again. Embiid's health. I like Embiid. I like Simmons, as I've said already. I've said multiple times, but it's not going to work in Philadelphia. I, I, I just, I mean, it's just not going to work. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I've, I've seen so many people having the conviction and the carriage to pick the Atlanta Hawks to win this series, and that's no slight to the Atlanta Hawks. Or those people or analysts that may have picked the Hawks because the Hawks, I mean, they 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 present a lot of problems 
uh, defensively for for the for, for the Seventy Sixers, but Philly itself last night's game was a summary of the Embiid in Simmons era with the Sixers. That was a summary. First half, they were awesome. They're high. They were they were looking pretty good. Ben Simmons running the offense. Embiid was, you know, playing a little bit better. He was playing good. You know, they had an 18 – the Sixers had an 18-point lead, a 18-point lead. The Sixers had an 18-point lead in the first half. It just totally evaporated in the second half. They folded in the second half. Tobias Harris came up short, you know. Uh, like I said, Ben Simmons petrified in the fourth quarter. Embiid's health. You know, it, you know, he, he went 0 for 12, but fatigued or health, whatever, just wasn't there. And it's just been indicative of, like I said, this has just been a summary of the Embiid and Simmons era in Philadelphia. Simple as that. Simple as that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how else to cut it. I don't know how else to cut it. And with this Ben Simmons problem that the that 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 Philly has, boy oh boy, um, I don't know if this. I think I shouldn't just be blaming Ben Simmons. This goes back to player development. Um, and you know, what, what who's working with Ben Simmons to try to make him more confident in taking jump shots. And it doesn't even have to be a three-point shot. It can be a mid-range shot. Some type of remnants of a jump shot uh, would be would would be helpful. Uh, because, like I said, in the fourth quarter, he looked petrified, and that's just been that's been the summary of the 76ers over the last couple years. Embiid's health, it's questionable, and Ben Simmons' offensive aggression. It's questionable as well. Simple as that. I don't know how else to cut it to you guys. Simple as that. So speaking of uh, problems and adversity and solving them, the Clippers. (laughs) The Clippers. So, and this is where I've learned a lot. And just just in... Two series, two rounds, two rounds of playoff basketball. The Clippers have con- they have shown me who they are as a team. They have, um, and, and and maybe I can probably tilt my hat to Kawhi um, and his resilience because Kawhi, uh, he's never lost a series while being or while trailing. Down when when he's down 0-2, he's never lost a series. And maybe I can tilt my head towards Kawhi and him being so resilient. But this Clippers team, when adversity strikes, when their backs are against the wall, the Clippers, they just come alive. And they look like when they come alive, when they're playing at their best, they look like they are destined to make it to the Western Conference Finals. Now, I like Utah. I think Utah is a great organization. I like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a spectacular talent. Um, I think he's a playoff riser. 
as Ron, um, as Ron from the MNR show would call him, a, a playoff riser. He, 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 he takes his game to the next level, the ultimate level in the playoffs. So I like Donovan Mitchell. I like the continuity that Utah has. But the Clippers, when faced with adversity, they answer the bell every time. Or at least they have this year, right? Last year, that wasn't the case. Down 0-2 versus the Mavericks, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was I thought it was panic time because it was. They couldn't stop Luka. They couldn't win a home game. Their defense, even though Dallas didn't play any defense and Dallas wasn't a great defensive team, the Clippers defense was even worse than Dallas. So I did I did panic because I didn't see that coming. But they then go on to win the next four out of the next five games in that series. Um, Kawhi played really well down the stretch of that series. He played and he played well on offense and defense on both sides of the ball. Uh, Ty Lu made great adjustments um, by not playing Patrick Beverly because uh, he saw he realized. I mean, it it, it took two games but after two games he realized Patrick Beverly has no business being on the floor trying to guard Luka Dantich no business he has no business being on the floor trying to guard Luka Dantich and offensively Pat Bev just don't give you a lot he didn't play Pat Bev he stopped playing Pat Bev he played more Terrence Mann more Rondo and so forth this series the Clippers fall down 0-2. But unlike the first round, I didn't panic. Because I'm like, Clippers come home. Clippers just got off of they just they just finished the seven-game series, a tough finish, a, a tough seven-game series. Didn't have a lot of time to really prepare and adjust. Uh travel, obviously. So I'm like, okay. And and, and plus. Like especially in game one, game one, Kawhi didn't play particularly great. He never got a flow. Paul George struggled a bit. So I'm like, mm. all of that, just adding context with all of those ingredients and things and variables that I mentioned, they only lost by possession. Game two wasn't close. Utah, Utah had, you know, Utah dominated that game in one. But game three. Tyron Lue comes back with more adjustments. Instead of instead, it's this time he's not playing Rondo as much. And he's playing more cousins. He's he's playing more Pat Patrick Beverly. Um and I think the big thing when coaches make these type of moves and like we just praise them on making these moves and adjustments. I think the hardest thing or the thing that I think is most important to figure out when you're trying to when you pull a certain player from a lineup um, or insert a player into a lineup is do they fit with the other four guys on the floor? Like offensively, how would it look defensively? How would it look What challenges would, like this with this adjustment? Um, what challenges with this adjustment, you know, what kind of challenges will we face? You know, so 
I think that's a big part that Tyron Lue has done differently from Doc Rivers, uh, you know, opposed to last year, where Doc Rivers last year didn't really change his starting five, didn't really make too many adjustments. Um, so, yeah, I think Ty Lue has definitely done um, – He's done a better job at just making adjustments and trying certain lineups out, changing it up. Boom. I go back once again. I go back to Kawhi Leonard and his play. Kawhi Leonard has been absolutely phenomenal. He has been absolutely phenomenal. I, you know, I talked about Kevin Durant and how Kevin Durant is the best player on the world. And I still believe that. Even with the even with going into a game five where it seems like his back is against the wall and it's going to be difficult. I still think Kevin Durant's the best player in the world, but I think Kawhi Leonard is right there right now because Kawhi Leonard, I mean, not really fancy, doesn't talk much. I can question his leadership a bit. Um, the load management, it kind of irks me a little bit sometimes. But boy, when he plays, he plays and he he gets it done. He gets the job done. Uh, Paul George, I've I've I, I've criticized Paul George. I mean, I've literally criticized Paul George so much, and some people brought it to my attention that a couple times he has mentioned like his mental health and so forth. So I'm be I'm gonna be cautious with that. But I do, I, I do think Paul George is a light switch. He's a light switch. He's literally a light switch. Paul George is a light switch. He's on, he's off, he comes on and off, on and off, on and off. When he's on, he's on. When Paul George is going, he is on, and he is as skilled as they come offensively when he's on. When he's off, he is off. And it's like, what is this guy doing? How He's making what? He's making what on a yearly basis? How? So when he's on, he is on. He is clicking. He looks really good. He he offensively, he looks really good when he's on. Defense, and then when he's off, you're like, holy Lord Jesus. <laughs> what, are, what are they paying this man for? So I think with the aggression, with the with the efficiency and the aggression that I'm seeing from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combined, it makes the Clippers even harder to defend on offense. And like I said, defensively, Kawhi, they they have shown sparks. Like Kawhi and PG both have shown bits and pieces of where their defense, they, they, they play defense. Where they try to play defense and they give their best effort. And you can see, like, okay, that is why these guys are called or have the reputation of being good defenders. They show that here and there. They show it in bits and pieces, um, in, in critical moments, to be quite honest. So the Clippers, you know, they're handling adversity well. They're handling adversity well. Uh, Yeah, the Clippers... I think they're going to win the series. I think it's going to be a seven-game series. Uh, and like I said, I think Utah – I think when Utah, I'm not saying Utah can't win the series. I picked the Clippers to win the series. But Utah, they're like I said, they're a great team, great organization. 
I just think with the injuries to Mike Conley, there's not enough offense. There's not enough ball handlers. They don't have a lot of ball handlers and shot creators and playmakers to create for others. But Utah's good, and they're good enough to win this series. But I had the Clippers winning. One last thing before I let you guys go. NFL story that I had to talk about because I just (laughs) – oh, my goodness. It's the classic example of – you need to look. You need to look in the, into the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. Um, you can't blame your problems on everybody else. At some point, you gotta pick up your mess, and uh, you gotta own up to it. It's like it's like that. It's like that. It's like that wife. It's like um, that female that's been married three times, and or that's been married two times. And the third partner doesn't work out. The third partner, the third merge doesn't work out. And she's now been divorced three times. It's like that. It's that female that has been divorced three times. Le'Veon Bell comes out um, on social media. So he, so he commented under an Instagram post and he said he will never play for Andy Reid again. He said he'll retire first before he plays for Andy Reid again. Then he backed it up more on social media, and he, you know, he did all that on Twitter. Um, Tyron Matthew came out and said, "Hey, um, certain some guys. This is paraphrase. Some guys uh, blame their downfall." on somebody else instead of, you know, basically he was disagreeing with Le'Veon Bell and saying Le'Veon Bell needs to wake up and smell the coffee. You can't play anymore. And that's where I want to get to. Le'Veon Bell can't play anymore. Uh, To be perfectly clear, he was overcompensated by the Jets. Overcompensated by the Jets. And like I said, and I, and I use, and you probably wondering, so why did you bring up the female? Well, get this. Le'Veon Bell didn't work in Pittsburgh. Now, granted, Pittsburgh had his issues with AB and Big Ben Roethlisberger. Um, Le'Veon's issue was more of a contract dispute because, you know, Le'Veon, his contract here came up. Le'Veon, at that time, at that time, at that time, back in Pittsburgh, Le'Veon was looked to he was looked upon as, if not the best back in football, but one of the one of the elite running backs in football, especially with his skills and abilities that he had, you know, as far as catching the ball. He was looked upon as an elite running back. Well, the Steelers didn't want to pay him. The Steelers didn't want to pay him. They didn't want to overcompensate. They didn't want to pay a running back. So instead, he went to the Jets, a franchise, low caliber, doesn't have great history. They overcompensated for him. It soon, he, he, he signs with the Jets, never really fulfilled and lived up to that big-time contract that the Jets gave him. We we gave we when the Jets thing didn't work out, we kind of gave Le'Veon Bell some lead way and we shot him some bail. And no, that's no pun intended, but we shot him some bail. We shot Le'Veon Bell some bail 
because he was coached by Adam Gase. And we all know Adam Gase isn't always in his right mind. So we 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 gave we gave Le'Veon Bell some bail. We shot him some bail. Then he goes to Kansas City. We're thinking, okay, this is the perfect situation, perfect location for Le'Veon Bell to resurrect his career. He's playing with Kansas City. He's playing with Andy Reid. Andy Reid will be able to maximize his abilities or whatever he has left. And it didn't work out. So so basically, it seems like Le'Veon Bell, it seems like when he got to Kansas City, Andy Reid told him one thing, but Le'Veon Bell was looking for something else. So he was so so basically, you know, Le'Veon Bell wanted more carries, more touches, but Andy. First of all, it's it's important at Kansas City did not run the ball well at all last year. Kansas City was ineffective at running the football. Kansas City had offense; they had a makeshift offensive line all year long. By the time they got up to the Super Bowl, they had four different. They had four just plug-in offensive linemen. Four. Four out of the five linemen were just plug-ins. So, O-line wasn't great, and Kansas City wasn't able to run the ball effectively last year at all. But let's be honest. Le'Veon Bell didn't work out in Pittsburgh. Le'Veon Bell didn't work out with the Jets and Adam Gase. And now Le'Veon Bell did not work out with Kansas City and Andy Reid. And I've literally, 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 I've never heard a player badmouth Andy Reid. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I haven't heard a player badmouth Andy Reid at all. Even a guy like Terrell Owens, who's had you know played with in Philadelphia, played with Donovan McNabb, had his riff with Donovan McNabb, still do. Have you know with Donovan McNabb, who at that time the coach was Andy Reid. Never heard him badmouth Andy Reid. I've never, I, I I just, it's just something that doesn't happen. Players don't badmouth Andy Reid. But I think Le'Veon Bell, just like that female who hasn't worked out or her th- like her third merge didn't work out, Le'Veon Bell needs to look in the mirror and ask himself, am I good enough? Because as a football player, not as a person, but as a football player, Am I, am I good enough? Am I as good as I think I am? If he answers that question honestly, he will backtrack these comments. Because, let's be honest, Le'Veon Bell is not nearly the player he used to be. And now, okay, people around the league are looking at you and they're like, okay, you didn't work out in Pittsburgh. You wanted more money. Okay. You didn't work out with the Jets and Adam Gase. Okay. Jets, Adam Gase, uh, you know, bad match. Didn't work out. He's gone, right? You didn't work out in Kansas City, and now you're bad mouth for Andy Reid. Who's really the problem here? At some point, you got to start looking at yourself. Just like that female who didn't, who, who had three marriages that did not work out. At some point, you got to start pointing the finger at yourself. Maybe I'm the problem. But, 
Um, that's neither here or there. Uh, I'm gonna I'm close it out right here. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the IKP. That's it, Kid Podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Boy, oh boy, big, big time game five tonight. Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I hope you guys, um, I'm gonna be, I, you know, I'm gonna be watching. Big game, big game tonight, but uh, always remember two choices, one decision. Uh, I see you guys on Saturday. Peace, deuces, I'm out.